Today we'll be continuing our series on Jeremiah. We'll be going through uh, some verses in chapter 9. Uh, just a bit of background for some of you um, uh, who might be thinking, oh, who is this Jeremiah? Jeremiah is a prophet, meaning that he heard from God and he declared the word of God to the people around him. Um, so he received words from God and he declared it to people. Um, and in this context, to Israel, uh, around uh, 600 BC. Um, and it's at the time where the kings are not godly. Um, well, a couple of them are, but majority of them are ruling based on their strength and authority. So they're not really in tune with what God has for the nation. They're not seeking God and asking him, where do you want us to go? Which direction do you want us to lead your people? They'll just go wherever their heart says. Um, and people are corrupted. Um, so it's at a time that to be a prophet is, to, is the worst time. Normally, it works well if people are all up for God and they're all passionate and on fire for God. Um, and you bring words of instruction, words uh, from God, and it works really well. Whereas at the time of Jeremiah, it wasn't the best time to be a prophet. It wasn't the best time to receive words from God and declare it to people. And that's very often the case for us as Christians. Um, it's usually the hardest times where we have to step out and say, look, I think God is saying this. So Jeremiah was in that place. Um, and he's been given the nickname of the weeping prophet. Um, we explored it, and I did mention uh, the last time that it wasn't because he watched a couple of chick flicks back to back. Uh, he was uh, weeping because um, he actually saw how God is seeing his people. He saw the sin of, God, uh, of the people of God against him. So he was weeping. And in this chapter, as we'll hear in a couple of minutes, um, Jeremiah continues to weep, along with someone else. We'll find out. Uh, today, we're going to talk about identity, um, using chapter 9 of Jeremiah. It's interesting, Mavish and Libby have been uh, getting together on Mondays and just going through some stuff in the Bible, and one of the things that they've been working on from the very first day was identity. So I've been able to pinch some of the ideas and put them in my preach today. Um, so I thought it'd be really good for Libby to come and read this passage for me. Um, first of all, it's to do um, with identity, what they've been going through. Uh, and I think it's just great for her to come and help me with this passage. So if I could ask Libby to come, and I'm just going to borrow this microphone. Right. It's Jeremiah chapter 9. Verses 20 to 26. Hear, all women, the word of the Lord, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach to your daughters a lament, and each to her neighbor a dirge. For death has come up into our windows, it has entered our palaces, cutting off the children from the streets and the young men from the squares. Speak. Thus declares the Lord, the dead bodies of the men shall fall like dung upon the open field like sheaves after the reaper, and none shall gather them. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised merely in the flesh. 
Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Amen. Thank you. Wow. What a passage. Jeremiah has all the reasons to weep. (laughs) So, what did we just hear? God telling Jeremiah to tell people to do what? To gather women who are skillful at mourning, and not only them, but getting their daughters. And God commanded them to go and mourn and weep. We see at the beginning of the passage that Jeremiah is weeping along with God. But God says, look, what has happened so far, the scale of what's happened, requires a whole army of people who are crying their eyes out. So go and get the skillful women and tell them to bring their daughters. Make a big noise. You see, everything in the Middle East is a bit noisy. Everything is loud. Um, And two things in particular are the loudest. I think some of our Eritrean friends uh, might also understand this. Weddings and funerals are the loudest. So when we were children, if we were too noisy, they would come and tell us off and say, oh, what do you think there's a wedding going on here? Quiet. (laughs) And then we came here, and probably the most quiet thing here is the wedding. So as much as I love you guys, I don't think you're very good at weddings and funerals. (laughs) And I'm saying that with all the love I have for you. But just to give you a bit of a context for what Jeremiah is saying to people here, what God is saying to people through Jeremiah, he's saying, look, you think you're loud? You think you're loud in your funerals? You think you can mourn really well? Get ready for this. Get the women who are skillful at doing this, women who are professionals in mourning, Go and get them, and not only them, but the next generation. Because what's happened is not going to finish now. What has happened so far, it has consequences, and the consequences are not just going to finish now and that's it. You're not going to mourn and finish it for today. It's going to go to the next generation. So teach your daughters to do this. It's like in today's day, rather than us teaching our children, Jack and Jill went up the hill, getting them, bringing them here, and say, look, you've got to learn how to mourn. We've got to teach you some lament songs, some songs of lamentation. We've got to teach you how to cry your eyes out. You see, as a Muslim, when I was growing up, before I come to Christ, we were taught how to do it. We were taught how to cry. We were taught how to mourn. Because we were taught that it would please God. And we had to learn it. And as I was preparing for this preach, I thought to myself, let me think of some of the things that we used to have so that I can give you a bit of context, so that I can say to my brothers and sisters who've never experienced that sort of things what it means to mourn. The hardest I thought, the less I could think of anything. And you know what? Not because I'd forgotten, but because I just couldn't. The joy of salvation for me is greater than anything else, greater than any other reason for me to mourn. I just couldn't really take it in me and think, look, let me think for two minutes and come up with a song of lament, with some lamentation songs that I can just give a taste, a bit of a taste of what it is to mourn. I couldn't. And I thank God that I couldn't. Because when you're in Jesus, no matter what happens around you, you know that you have a rock that you can stand on 
and his name is Jesus, he never changes, and he is all for you, because he even gave his life for you and I, so that we can live life to the full. So I just couldn't do it. I'm sorry. I've got video clips on YouTube that I can show you later, but I just couldn't do it. But what happens here is, God is saying, you've got to mourn, not only in this generation, but the generation after. You see, it comes from the attitude of heart. Why God is saying to people, you've got to mourn? Why is God commanding Israel to mourn? We hear sometimes there are lots and lots of songs that are jubilant, lots of songs that are great, talking about the greatness of God. But God is commanding them to do this because of a very big problem. A very big problem that finds its way to every single area of our lives. A very big problem that affects everything in our lives, emotionally, spiritually, physically. And that's called sin, S-I-N. It's what God hates. He can't tolerate that. So God is saying, because of your sin, you've got to mourn. Now, we've got to be careful not to forget the context and where it's happening. God is saying, because of your sin, you think you are my people, you think because Abraham was your father, you could do this, you think because of this and because of that, you think you don't know. You think you are the chosen people and therefore you can do whatever you want. You just have to behave in a certain way and that's called religion. You just have to be religious and that pleases me. No, you're wrong. It's the attitude of heart that matters. It's what's in your heart that matters. What you have here that really matters. You've heard lots of schools of thought trying to introduce God or gods. Um, You've probably been through lots and lots of them. You've probably been taught lots of them in many different settings. So sometimes people say, oh, let me introduce God to you in this way. You can create your own God. Well, if you create your own God, then he's not God anymore because he's created, not the creator. Um, Some schools of thought say, you've got to think positive and God will do this for you and this is your God and you can be the God of your life. That's blasphemy. That's what the Bible calls blasphemy. You can only know God through his word. There is only one God and there is only one way to know him and that's through this. God has decided to reveal himself through us through this, in his sovereignty. So if you want to know him, come to him. If you want to know him, this will tell you who he really is, not what's in you. The problem is most Schools of thought tell us to go and look inside, and that's where all the problem is. God is telling us, your heart is more deceitful than anything else. That's where the problem is. You look inside, and you forget about the one who's up there. So, we're going to look at who is God, because through that, in light of knowing who God is, then we really know who we are. If you want to know who you are, thank you, my brother. Oh, thank you. This is why you shouldn't have notes. If you really want to know who you are, if you want to know your true identity, there's only one way you can find out. In light of who God is and how he's decided to reveal himself, you can know who you are. And there's only two identities. You're either in him or you're not. So you've got to make a decision. He will not force it on you. You can decide to know God, and based on that, you will know who you are. That's the only way to find out.
You see, in here, the whole city is besieged by the army of a guy called Nebuchadnezzar. His name is almost as long as my surname, but not that long yet. So this king, he's ruthless, and he's come and surrounded the city, the city that supposedly the people of God are in there, and he's not letting anyone in or out. Why is he doing that? Because he wants to take over the city, but he knows he has all the power to do that. He's just doing it slowly. And of course, it's God's timing as well. So what happens is people in there, inside the city, have got different choices. They can either trust in God, listen to what he says through Jeremiah, repent, and then leave it to his sovereignty, or they can trust in their own king, who doesn't know what he's doing really, and that's what most people try to do. So they, try, they trust in their king, saying, he'll get this guy out, he'll send him back to Babylon, we'll even go there and take over their city and bring all the gold and everything else back. No one else can stand against us. There's no one who can really stand against us. We are the people of God. We've got a king. They've forgotten that their actual king is Jehovah. Their actual king is God. And they are supposed to represent him in their lives. So they put their trust, their trust in their king. And God says, now, it's all happening. Your children are not going to be singing in the streets anymore. Because death is coming and it's not just going to come in the streets. It's going to come into your homes. So be prepared. Be prepared like you've never been prepared before. Be prepared to see the worst scenes of your lives ever. Nothing like we see in the news today. Be prepared because death is personified now. Death is going to be present and it's going to be present all over. Death is coming, crawling through your windows inside your houses. There's no way you can get away from death. Be prepared to mourn. How sad is it? Can you imagine hearing these words in those times? What would your response be? Would you think, ah, oh, this guy again, he's come back with some words. Can you ever talk a positive word? Can you ever say something nice? No wonder your whole family don't want you. No wonder you're not accepted. Say something that the king actually likes. He might even give you a good job. You never know. Because we know, we know your father. We know your family. Can you say something positive? But Jeremiah is speaking the truth. Death, this grim reaper who's come to reap what people have sown, is there. This is what people have done. And it all goes back to identity. It all goes back to relative priorities in life. Now, it's going to get a bit personal and about you and I. Where do we put our trust in? Who are we trusting in? Where is our identity? When you talk about identity here, um, it reminds me of ID cards and lots of other things. Um, an identity is a big thing uh, in today's society, particularly here in the West. Uh, it's like words like identity theft, identity crisis, and lots of other things, which I think are relevant. Um, you've probably heard of them before, but what do you think about your identity? Where do you stand uh, in light of God? In light of knowing who God is, where do you stand? Are you going to put your trust in Him? Are you trusting Him and Him alone in every circumstances in your life? Or you're not so sure yet. 
If you're not sure, I want to encourage you to come and put your trust in Him. Because He alone is God. Because once you put your trust in Him and once you know Him, then you will really know who you are and who He's made you to be. As I said at the beginning, we were all born for such a time as this. Once you get to know Him, He'll tell you what your plan and purposes are. He'll tell you what His purposes are for you. He'll tell you what He has for you in store. And whatever it is, it's great. Remember, I didn't say it's going to be easy, but it's going to be great. Because all my problems started after I came to Christ. But, but it's great. I would never think about it twice. I would not want to exchange it with anything else. Because what you gain from it is far greater than what you give. You get to be friends with God. You get to walk with Him. You get to have His presence, the Holy Spirit in you. What else could you want? You get to get directions from Him. You get Him to lead you. This is the greatest joy in my life, and I'm sure in the life of anyone who's given their life to Jesus. If you haven't, today is the day. Today is the day. No strings attached. He wants to be your friend. He's already done everything on his part. It's just you. All you need to do is take a step of faith and say, look, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to live my life with you. Invite him into your life, because that's what I did, and he will respond, because he's alive. Ask him, and he will do it. You see, in this situation now, with war, with Nebuchadnezzar and his army around the city, and... uh, with the king of Israel being useless and not being able to do anything uh, to stop Nebuchadnezzar and his army, with people starving, nothing coming in the city, nothing going out. God is saying something else. He said, do not boast. That's funny, isn't it? Sounds a bit funny. Don't boast. I mean, come on, that's probably the last thing we would want to do in the times of war. Don't take pride who would take pride? I mean, imagine there's war going on and you're in the streets and you're walking along and you're taking pride in your statue. You're taking pride in your wealth and what you have here at home, stored at home. No, you'd run for your life. But God is saying to them, do not boast in three things. And these three things are great. In fact, they're gifts from, given from God. But if they are your identity, then they become corrupt. They will corrupt you. So God says, whoever is wise, don't boast in your wisdom. You know what? Because the wise of the Israel, they've come to realize that they're nothing but fraud. They were wise. They thought they know it all. They've got it all planned. The religious guys thought, well, we're doing this and we're doing that, so God is pleased. No matter what goes on in our hearts, we're doing the ritual side of things, we're washing the proper way, we're killing a lamb at the right time of the year, and we're doing this and we're doing that. We're wise, so it doesn't really matter what goes on in our hearts. We're wise. God's saying to those who think they're strong, say, don't boast, because they've already been proved wrong. If you're strong, you'd protect the city. I can imagine none of them would go and dare to, say, to even look at the soldiers outside the walls just to see how many there are. So, two gifts given from God, wisdom and strength, and yet 
people have found their identity in those gifts and they've gone astray. And then the next thing is wealth, riches. God says if you're rich, don't boast in your riches, in your wealth, because it's not going to help you. Because people thought in those days that if they had these three, they'd be well off and they'd be okay, they'd be protected. But the wealth of a person is not going to help him at that time. But what God does is, he lists three things and he says, don't boast in them. And then what he does is, he says another three things and he says, these will please me. And they're righteousness, justice, and love. So if you've ever been at church before, you know that God has justice and God is a righteous God. And we can identify that with what's happening here. God is a righteous God. He can't tolerate sin. So what's happening is because of his righteousness and because of his justice. But come on, could he have love? I mean, people are dying. How could he be a loving God if people are dying? How, how could that be possible? Yeah, with the first two, we agree, because it makes sense to our mind. It's logical. Yeah, he can't tolerate sin. He's showing justice. He's showing righteousness. But what about love? We'll get to that later on. God is actually showing love to people there and then. And he's showing love to you and I today through that. People have lost their identity. People don't really know who they are because they don't really know who God is. And it's not just one generation. A couple of generations it's gone on through generation by generation. Sometimes we tend to fall in that trap as well. We become Christians, we come to Christ, we know him for all who he is. We come to get to know him as our Lord and Savior. He becomes our all in all. And then later on down the line, we think, oh well, maybe I can do this on my own. I I don't really need you, Jesus, here, because it's not that hard. No offense to you, but it's not really hard. I need you when you're like a genie to me, so I'll just call you when I need you. So that's what happens. Our identity is in God, and that means we trust in Him in every single situation in our lives. Let me give you, uh, let me tell you a story. Uh, you might think at the beginning it, it might not make sense or it's not relevant to this, but as you can probably tell from my figure, I go to our local gym. Um, now, let me tell you, uh, I mean, if you have a de- different definition from gym or, or you want to give it a different name like jacuzzi or anything, it's, um, I mean, why use more than one name, just say gym and it includes jacuzzi as well. So that's my, that's, that's what I mean by gym. So that's my secret place and that's where I go to hear from God. In fact, I, I was going to meet up with Job, uh, so I sent him a message saying, because um, you normally meet up over a coffee, don't you? So I sent him a message saying, fancy going to uh, the jacuzzi uh, sometime over the weekend. And then he sent me, his reply was something funny and then Mavi said, Maybe it means something different in this culture. <laughs> so if I ever invite you to Jacuzzi, <laughs> you know it's all with a good intention. You see, <laughs> it's all with good intention, seriously. <laughs> so I'm not like our boss who goes and wastes his time on those weight lifts and other stuff. <laughs> if you've got strength, come and help at Open Door. Come and help at Food Bank and lift up stuff. You go to gym to relax. So uh, what happened was I went again to this gym, or what you call Jacuzzi, um, and when you normally go in there, when you go to the 
uh, wrong place. It's all like loud music and uh, people are waiting lifts and running on the treadmill. So the music has got to be upbeat and really loud. But then in the better place when you go, it's all shallow music, like mellow, it's nice and it's all great and it just makes you fall asleep. And so I, I thought I'll kill two birds with one stone. So I went in and I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to memorize these songs because they're all uh, romantic songs. Uh, so when Mavish is talking to me about something great and about her plans and dreams, and I haven't got a clue what she's talking about, and I'm daydreaming, I can just come up and use one of the lines in the, in the song and just say, say that to her, and then it'll all be fine. She'll think, oh, I'm just being romantic, uh, and it'll just let me off. You guys, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. So don't pretend you don't know. <laughs> so what I did was I went to the jacuzzi, uh, then I got ready, I said, Sarush, let's, you've, got to, you've got to concentrate. It's not just about relaxing, it's about learning a couple of songs, songs as well. I'm going to forget about this one because it's halfway through. I'm going to go to the next one and I'm going to concentrate really strongly and then learn all the words. So the next song came up and it was, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie. <laughs> so I thought, um, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. So I was trying to repeat it and memorize it. And then I realized what it meant. So I said, no, it's not going to work. Uh, imagine me saying that to Marlish. <laughs> then I said, no, the next one. The next one is definitely going to be the right one. And then the next one came up. And it just felt so funny to me. But at the same time, it was a bit sobering. Because some people actually listen to these songs. And then they, they take up uh, words from it. Or sometimes they put their lives based on that song. And the, the song went something like this. You are everything, and everything is you. So I thought, is it my English? Or has actually some, somebody written this song, and then somebody sang it? So, and then, it, as I was th thinking about this preach, I said, this is how some people refer to God. You are everything, which is true, and everything is you. So I thought to myself, first of all, if I use that on Mavash, and if it's safe, then I'll say to God. So I thought to myself, if I say to Mavash, you are everything, and everything is you, she'll immediately say, so you think I'm a coffee table, and your iPhone is me? So I thought, no, it's not safe. Let's forget about it. But it's probably how some people in Israel refer to God. They had heard his name. They knew about the great things God had done for their fathers. And they said, you are everything. And that's true. God is everything to us. He is the source of life. As Christians, he must be everything to us. But not everything is God. So some Israelites thought, well, you are everything and everything is you. So I can see you in this tree. I can see you here. And this is my God. And you are one of them. It doesn't work that way. Our identity is in God, who is everything to us. But not everything is God. We've got to remember that. So as the children of God, we've got to make choices. What we've been talking about so far, they're good things. Wealth is really good. We have some very wealthy people in this church. And they use it for the glory of God. And it's amazing. We have people who have influence in different places. And it's great because they use it for the glory of God. 
We have people who have the gifts mentioned in here. We have people who are passionate for social justice, not because they think it's a fancy thing, particularly in today's world, because they, they know this is where the heart of God is. And they want to shine for God. And it's a good thing. But when our identity is in what we do, our identity is in the gifts given to us by God, that's when we go wrong. So if you think you're strong, let me tell you, you're not. If you think you're wise, you're not. You'll probably find out later on, or down the line as you go, that you're not as wise as you thought. Because you know the Bible says God turns the wisdom of the wise into foolishness. The Bible says that the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, is foolishness to the Greeks and is an offense to Jews. Jews would hate to see the king on the cross, and if you say that to them, they'll probably stone you even today. So if you think you're strong, you're not really. Are you wise? No. You think you have it all under control? Let me tell you, you haven't. Unless you have God on your side. Then the whole world thinks you're foolish, but then you can actually say, I was in your place once. But I know that the cross of Jesus Christ is not foolishness. It's the power of God at work. And it's through that that I have come to get to know Jesus. It's through that that I have access to the Father. Um, If you want to find meaning in anything else than God, let me tell you, you are wrong. I'm not being arrogant. I'm just saying what the Bible says. And very often the Bible offends people, uh, particularly those who don't believe in it. Have you got it all under control? You need God. So you might be thinking, well, you've said it, so many things about how not to do it. I would forget about it, Abbas. <laughs> how not to do it and how not to think and how not to do this and that. So how do we do it then? Because that's the problem, you see. Very often in the world, people tell us this isn't right, this isn't right, that is not right, and they don't tell us how to do it right particularly when you're at school. And, um, but how do we do it right? The Bible has the answer. And you know, when you're in a Christian setting, um, you have a question, no matter what question it is, whether it's um, from the Bible or whether it's geography, maths, or whatever, there is guaranteed, almost guaranteed, that there is someone in the room shouting out Jesus at every single question, thinking that he is the right answer. And of course, he's the answer to everything, but the Bible also gives us more detail. So Jesus is the answer, but let me tell you how he is the answer. Because in 1 Corinthians, we read, the Apostle Paul is saying what I just said about the cross. I didn't say it for myself. I'm not that wise. I know I'm a bit, but not that wise. Um, so Apostle Paul is saying, if you look at the cross, Greeks think it's just not logical. It doesn't make sense. We know philosophy, and based on what we know, it's just not right. It doesn't make sense. Jews come and say, Messiah is great, and when he comes, he crushes the nations, and he will crown us. So, did Jesus do that? No, he died on the cross, so he can't be the Messiah. What Apostle Paul says is that, yes, you think these things with your head and with your mind, but let me tell you, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to him, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
And for Greeks, you think you know it all, you don't really. Come and have a look. Come and sit down here. Come and talk to the fountain of wisdom. So this is how we do it. You go to Jesus and you say, you are the answer. I want my identity in you. I want you to be my everything. I want you to be my all in all. I want you to give me my identity. You see, for years I was looking for my identity because I, uh, I grew up in a part of the country where it wasn't my hometown. So I was always thinking, who am I? Am I part from this place or am I not? Then my grandfather and my grandmother are from two different ethnic groups in Iran. Um, and we have many different ethnic groups. So I was thinking, which one do I belong to? And then my mom is from a city, my father is from another, and these are big things, in, particularly in Iran. And I was thinking, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Here or there? Or how does it work? So identity was a big thing to me. And in fact, to many people, they want to know where they, can, they come from. They want to know where their line goes to. So I was always conscious of working out where my identity is. Until a few years after I came to Christ, I really found out that it doesn't matter where I was born. It doesn't really matter who my earthly mother and father were. It doesn't really matter which ethnicity I come from. And then it was when I joined Jubilee here that I really found out how that works in practice, that it doesn't really matter where you come from. It doesn't really matter who you are and which nation you come from. It doesn't matter. As long as you know Jesus, you know you're in the right place. It doesn't matter even if you don't know him, this is the right moment for you to get to know him. So it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who your fathers and mothers were. It doesn't matter what they were worshipping. What matters is you standing before God. Are you in a position to say, I'm in you, Jesus? Are you in a position to say, I belong to Jesus because I know him and I know that I've given my heart to him? Are you in that position? If not, I want to encourage you to come into that position today, to take a step of faith and say, this is the moment I want to uh, have the biggest marker in my life. I want to give my life to Jesus and I want to see what happens. He has become my identity. You see, later on, God says to the Israelites, he says, I'm going to bring judgment, not on you alone, on the nations. And he lists a few nations. What's so funny about it is that Judah is in the list of that nations. So God is saying, technically, you know different to those who don't know me. God is saying to Israel, you boast because you're circumcised and you think because of that covenant you can come into my presence. No, no, no. You're wrong. Because there are other nations who practice it and because it smells is something physical and not in your heart, it doesn't mean anything to me. And what's so funny is that Judah is not the first on the list. <laughs> it's Egypt and then Judah. So God is saying, you're really no different <laughs> than, uh, to any other nations. It doesn't really matter whether you do this or you do that because your heart is not in the right place. To me, you're the same as the other nations and not even on top of the list. You're, you're just one of them. What matters is the circumcision of heart. And it wasn't something new to Jeremiah. I think it's in Deuteronomy we read about it, that God says that's what he's interested in. So God is interested in the circumcision of our hearts. Can we really say that we are truly him? 
belong to him in our hearts? Is his place in our heart? Does he live in our hearts? Or is it just merely something physical? That's what Marish and Libby put together. <laughs> Heavenly passport. Are you able to say these things? Are you able to say that I am a child of God? Not because I was born into a Christian family, which is a great thing, but because at one point in my life, I came to Christ and said, you are my God and I am yours. Are you able to say that you are an ambassador of Christ because you believe in him and you trust in his word and because his word says that you are an ambassador, you are to be sent, this is me, this is who I am. Government, I love that. You know, because when you're from a different nation, you understand the difference between different governments. But the Bible says the government is on his shoulder, the shoulder of Jesus Christ. Are you able to say at this point in your life that I belong to a government that Jesus is the head of? If you can't, I want to encourage you. Don't let today pass by without you going to him and say, look, I want you to be the government. I want to be your child. Many of us might not understand the uh, significance of having a father, either because we didn't have a good experience with our earthly father or we didn't see our earthly father or for whatever reason we didn't have a good relationship. But this father is far greater than any other. This father is so different from any other. This father gave his son for you and I. He loves us that much that he gave his son. So no matter what your position is on fatherhood, no matter what your experience is about fatherhood, you might be a father yourself and you think, I'm not a good one. Then trust in Jesus. He'll make you into a good one. He'll teach you how to teach your children the ways of God. He'll teach you how to bring up and grow your children in God. So if you don't know him today, don't miss this moment. So as Christians, what do we boast in? God says, don't boast in this and that, in your wisdom, in your strength. What do we boast in? What do I have to boast in? My mother says, what you have done, becoming a Christian, has brought shame in me. And I've got nothing to boast about now. You're the firstborn son, you're the only son, and I've got nothing to boast about when I talk to others. There's, what's your achievement in life? Every time I call and you don't answer, you call me back a couple of days later and say you were in a church meeting. Every time I call, you say you were away because of this and that. So what have I got to boast about you? What's my answer? What would you answer? <laughs> boast in my God. <laughs> boast in Jesus Christ. Take pride in the fact that you know your son belongs to Jesus Christ, to the one who is greater than any other. And come and join me in the journey. So, if you ever hear people saying this about you, I think this is the best response. If they say, well, what have you gained? What, what can you take pride in? What are your achievements in life? You know, my achievement is nothing. I haven't got anything to take pride in. I've got nothing, seriously, nothing at all. But my pride is in my God. And I don't say that because I've got nothing else to take pride in, because people of Israel didn't have anything to take pride in, but they still took pride in falsehood. 
There are lots and lots of things around us that we can take pride in, but choose to take pride in Jesus, in the cross of Jesus that is foolishness to the world, but to us is life. Because if you know him, then you know without the cross, we would not be a family. If you know Jesus, you would know that without him dying on the cross and rising from the dead, we would not be together today. We might not even be friends, let alone brothers and sisters. So, where is your identity? Is it in your strength? Is it in your wisdom? In the fact that you think you're a good person? You're fighting for justice in the society? Let me tell you, social justice doesn't mean anything without God in it. If social justice doesn't show the heart of God, it doesn't mean much. Of course, it's good to help people. But the first priority for us is to shine for God as Christians. So you think you're strong? You've seen what ha- what's happened to the strong. You think you're wise? You know what happens to the wise. What are you going to do today? What's your response to it? Where's your identity? Are you able to say, this is me? If this is you, then all you need to do is to worship him. Lift your hands up and worship him, regardless of what situation you're in. If you can't say these, then I want to encourage you. Don't let today pass by. If I could ask the worship team to come up, please. I think Raj has got something to share with us. I don't normally interrupt in the sermon, but I just felt this, this passage has been on me for at least a couple of days, and it, it fits in so, so much with what Sarush is saying. And I want Sarush, this is a sobering moment for us. What we've just read and what Sarush has just brought is a sobering moment for us. We're going to take the vision, our four-hour vision of Jubilee into the world as God wants us to. What Sarush is saying this morning and what Jeremiah is speaking to us over a church. This is a very important moment. As we go into a gift day, as we go into everything that comes out of the eight months of planning and praying with eldership teams, with leadership teams, this moment is very important for us. And I just felt, this is the, this is the passage that God gave me, and I'm going to allow Sarush to unpack it and pray into it uh, amongst us. But this is what Jesus said at the end of the book to the church at Ephesus, which was an amazing church. The Apostle Paul planted it. He was like, it was a very good foundational church. And this is what Jesus says, and it's very sobering. And I feel God wants us to hear it this morning because it's very much rooted in what Sarush is saying about identity. It says this, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. These are the words of Jesus. And it says this to the church at Ephesus, a good church. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Good church. Good church? Yet I hold this against you. that you have forsaken the love you had at first. That you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Will we take that seriously this morning? Thank you, Raj. Thank you, Raj. I think the word speaks for itself. Where are you when you stand before Jesus? 
Do you love him even more than the first day? Where do you see yourself? This is a sobering word. Do you identify with it? It's okay to say yes. You don't have to shout it out loud because we know we have a God who is gracious. All we need to do is to approach him in confidence. This is what the Bible says. Go before him in confidence, knowing that he responds to us. Jubilee, where is your heart? Is it in line and in tune with what God has for us? Or you're not so sure because you've been walking with him for a few years and you think, I've done my bit. I don't think any of us are done. Because the word is to be fulfilled yet even more. That the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. In fact, it's upon us because he has anointed us to preach the good news. It's nothing special about us. It's his anointing. Are you up for it, Jubilee? As Rice says very often, it's not easy, but scary, or it's not easy, but it's great. I have found it not to be very easy to take the word of God every time to be walking with Jesus in every single step of your way in your life. But it's great. So let us respond to the word, knowing that God is gracious and his love never rends for us. Should we all stand up together?